Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. COVID fear-mongering and the midterm strain that could be the most dangerous variant yet. Home Run Derby, All-Star Game, and postseason predictions courtesy of my fiancé, JP. And the Emmy nomination that's triggering the left. You know I've got some final thoughts. That's all next because the show starts right now. It's a new week, and we are now two years and four months into the two weeks to flatten the curve. Big COVID lie. Now, most of us have had plenty of time to move on with our lives, plenty of time to learn to live with the realities of COVID, along with all the other infectious viruses no one really batted an eye at until they could be weaponized as an excuse for mass mail-in voting. But the point is, most of us have moved on. When I say most of us, I'm not including the double-masked and quad-vaxxed liberals who will likely never return to the old normal, or the Democrat politicians and bureaucrats who need COVID, and more specifically, COVID fear, to stick around as long as possible. Which brings me to California, home to both of those aforementioned groups. The unelected head of LA Public Health, who isn't a doctor, by the way, declared the city will bring back mass mandates if the region enters the CDC's arbitrary high transmission zone for two weeks. San Diego Unified School District has already announced the return of the mass mandate for students and staff until at least the end of summer school, forcing children, the lowest risk category, to mask up in the heat of summer. California libs just can't stop with their affinity for face diapers and forcing supposedly free people to breathe in their own fluids and filth underneath a decorative cloth strapped ear to ear because liberals love this stuff. They really do, even if it doesn't work. As reported by our very own OutKick writer, Ian Miller, back in December 2021, LA Public Health conducted spot check surveys of over 1,500 businesses and issued a press release highlighting the high masking compliance. Hilariously, the release was titled, High Compliance with Masking Requirements Keeps LA County Residents Safe and Healthy Due to the Observed 95% Plus Rate of Customers and Employees Masking Indoors. And immediately afterwards, cases in Los Angeles shattered all previous records. Yet LA is ready to bring them back and their reasoning is once again hospital overcrowding. It's a reason, all right, just not a good or even legit one. Here are doctors from a major LA medical center, the LAC plus USA Medical Center to be exact, who put out this video stating 90% of those testing positive for COVID aren't in the hospital for COVID. Only 10% of our COVID positive admissions are admitted due to COVID. Virtually none of them go to the ICU. And when they do go to the ICU, it is not for pneumonia. They are not intubated. We haven't seen one of those since, since February. Oddly, that video has now disappeared from the LAC USC feed, but the message lives beyond the delete key, and that message is, as it stands, only 10% of COVID hospitalizations are for COVID. So why bring back the hysteria, the restrictions, and the masks? Hmm, could it be a new midterm strain so dangerous we need mass mail-in voting? or a recycled distraction from the umpteen million Biden-slash-Democrat-created dumpster fires currently ablaze? Americans aren't scared of COVID. 
Democrats just want us to be to keep us under the thumb and bring back those emergency powers they never should have been granted in the first place. Cloth masks, useless. Lockdowns, useless. Democrats, useless. But staying on this subject, up next, I'm joined by a board-certified medical doctor, Dr. Jeanette. And it's a house call from everything from vaccines to variants. That's next. Word on the street is health experts at the CDC and NIH are jumping ship. According to an article written by a top public health expert at Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Marty McCary, staff at both agencies are leaving in droves due to low morale and are reportedly embarrassed by some of the bad science the White House has asked them to push, such as, but not limited to, school closures, masking in schools, and the COVID vaccine for children under five. The NIH's Vaccine Research Center has had many of its senior scientists leave over the last year, including the director, deputy director, and chief medical officer. So there's something to this. Under the condition of anonymity and citing fear of professional repercussions, scientists at the CDC and NIH told the publication they're through being made to advocate public health decisions driven by what's politically palatable to people in Washington or to the Biden administration. Wowzers, now y'all are gonna get a backbone? But joining me now with her thoughts on this exodus, the new COVID variant, and where we go from here is board-certified medical doctor, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. And I was so worried about getting the, the <laughs> you Neshwat. Got it. Yeah, All yeah. right. So I have so many questions for you. I thought we'd be done with COVID. I thought you and I could talk about something else. But you know what? They're bringing it back. They're bringing back the COVID fear. They're saying cases are going up. L.A. is already wanting to issue a mask mandate. San Diego Unified School District already bringing back masks for students and staff. Is this really something to be worried about or is the hysteria that the media is pushing overblown? I, I absolutely think it's overblown and I don't think it's an emergency anymore. We're now two and a half years into this pandemic. We're at the point where you know your risk, you know what to do to protect yourself. So take those actions and let's stay focused on those who are high risk. That means senior citizens, those with underlying medical conditions, those who have a weak immune system, but never to shut down the community, to do lockdowns and shut down schools that have such a terrible impact on everyone, children. They're, we're seeing increase in anxiety and depression. We're seeing increased in suicide attempts, those sorts of things. And then, of course, you know, adults who are losing their jobs and not able to, you know, have money to put gas in their car or to buy clothing or to do whatever activities they once were able to do because of the loss of their jobs, because of the lockdown, the economy. So it was just a huge whole disaster. But hopefully we've learned from our mistakes and uh, moving forward, we will never have to deal with that again. You'd think we would have learned, but yeah. as I said, L.A. is already yeah. wanting to go back to the mask mayonnaise. I want to ask you about the, the efficacy of masks in a moment, but I also want to go back to where yeah. we are with COVID and where we were with COVID. They're saying that case numbers are up. Now, from the start of this, when they would tell us case numbers are up, even here in yeah. Nashville, I would say, I don't want to hear about the cases. I want to hear about the hospitalizations and the deaths. And not just the hospitalizations, but the hospitalizations that are actually due to COVID. Because yeah. like we're seeing right exactly. now, in L.A. specifically, which I talked about in my first segment, these people are going in for other reasons. They're testing them for COVID. They're testing positive, but their symptoms are mild or non-existent. They don't even know they have COVID in a lot of cases, but then they call it COVID hospitalizations. And this isn't the first time they've done this. They were doing this way back at the start of this whole thing. Yeah, so what you want to do is cut that number in half because many people who are, who are admitted to the hospital, they're not admitted because of COVID. They're admitted maybe for a heart attack or you know a broken bone or appendicitis, but the, incidentally they're swabbed and they just so happen to be positive. You can't count that. That's fraudulent in my opinion. And to see that they want to you know regress and go back to mandates is absolutely wrong. And it comes down to leadership. 
Who is the health commissioner in that area? Who is their governor? You know, if you don't want to live under those ridiculous, you know, rules, go to Nashville, go to Florida, go to Texas, where, you know, you have freedom to choose, where you shouldn't be forced, you know, and mandated to wear a mask or get a vaccine. It's your choice. It's an option. I think that's where it should be everywhere at this point. You have family in Nashville. Yeah. I moved to Nashville during COVID, and I can tell you this. If COVID were as risky as people wanted us to believe, Nashville population would be dead because people partied harder in Nashville during COVID than they did pre-COVID. I should have came to Nashville. Listen, the streets were full. Yes, we had mass mandates. We had curfews. We have a Democrat mayor that wanted to set some arbitrary restrictions that we had to deal with for a while. Uh, A lot quicker Mm -hmm. we got rid of all that than most of the places in the country. But the streets were full of people. And yes, there was case totals went up and then people would go home case totals. But People were not dropping dead in the streets and people were having a good time. Yeah, and and actually, you know, we saw and we learned that the the lockdowns and closing everything down, all the businesses, the schools, and trying to push masks, they really didn't have much of an impact. And you think about it, if you force a family to stay home and stay amongst each other, they're more likely to spread virus and disease to one another versus if they're out and about, not, you know, bringing home diseases. Um, So you have to look at the big picture. And um, I think it's wrong what they're doing in California to try to regress and put back these draconian measures that we know at this point does not work. And, And we also have to realize we have come so far. We've got therapeutics. We've got uh, antiviral medications. We know how to treat COVID right now. So, you know, we have to look at all of all of these these factors and also understand that the focus, again, should be on the high risk and not a one size fits all, not a blanket solution for everyone. But I think um, we really hopefully moving forward don't ever have any of these draconian measures where it's going to impact children, especially. I think they're the ones who are most impacted negatively, you know, from a mental standpoint. I'm seeing that firsthand with younger children who are coming in with severe anxiety and depression, having to put more and more teenagers on um, therapies to help them get through their depression because of the lockdowns, then them missing their, you know, their high school prom or going to college for their first year and that and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was all bad. Yeah. And they ignored a lot of the mental health repercussions yeah. for a very long time. We've talked to several people on the show that went through some of the most difficult times of their life. The liquor stores were open, but the AA meetings yeah. and everything else, Shut the gyms down. were closed. You're taking away people's livelihood. You're taking away their recreation. Yeah. You're taking away their social ability to connect with others. But I want to talk about vaccines as well. Listen, it has been taboo for a long time to even say anything, even questioning vaccines. Right. You can't question them. You have to say, get the vaccine. Everyone get the vaccine. I've been very vocal about the fact that I'm unvaccinated. I'm healthy. I'm young. I've don't feel the need to get a vaccine. I don't know what the long-term side effects are. Now, other people in different categories, absolutely. But talking about vaccines Mm -hmm. for children under five, there are some people that are rushing out to get their little children vaccinated. Now, the vaccination rate for those children is low, so Americans are seeing the writing on the wall there. But what do you say about those vaccines for children under five? Yeah, it's about 3%. And Here's the thing. If you don't have hardcore solid evidence and data that shows it is going to make a a difference between life and death, there's no evidence to prove it's beneficial. How can you inject something in a a newborn baby, a child, um, when you, you cannot prove that it's effective? Yet we do know that some of these vaccines for some people can have side effects like myocarditis. 
you know, and you know, it's rare, but we've seen a cardiac arrest as well. I have a five-month-old nephew. He's the cutest little baby. I'm not pushing my sister to, to vaccinate him because it's unnecessary, number one, he's so young. And also he's already had COVID. So many children under the age of 11 have already had COVID. So we have to take that into consideration. Um, and if you don't have, again, solid evidence that shows it's gonna make a huge difference in their life, um, then I don't think it's the right approach right now. I think the approach would be focus on who are the majority of people who are dying from COVID, and it's the older population with underlying medical conditions. That still holds. Are we going to get to a place where certain people in the medical community suggest that boosters happen every six months or they're mandated every six months? Because that seems to be the yeah. direction that some are wanting to, to take us. I don't think they should be mandated. I think it should be an option. I think it's up to you. If you want to take the risk of maybe dying or having side effects, it's up to you. It's your choice. It's no different than drinking a bottle of whiskey every day. It's your choice what you want to put in your body. Um, but um, as far as the mandate, that's a, that's a no. Now, could it be recommended for certain groups of people every six months or once a year, like the flu shot? Sure, that's one thing. But again, it should be optional. It should absolutely be optional because whether they wanted to admit it at the onset of all this or not, the vaccine does not prevent infection yeah. or spread. So for the life of me, I yeah. cannot figure out what use that mandate plays yeah. when they say it's for the, the greater good, it's for public health, but it doesn't really have an impact on anybody else except for the person that's getting it or not getting it. So the mandates to me seems yeah. more about control and less about the science. Absolutely. You know, it's not like our current COVID vaccines, and maybe it'll change in the future. It's not like meningitis or measles or mumps or rubella or, or tetanus, those type of vaccines that can literally stop infection and, and stop you from spreading it and stop you from dying. And that's why I was so disheartened when I saw 60,000 Army reservists and guardsmen might be expelled because they're unvaccinated. We need our military. And again, it's not a vaccine that can stop disease and stop the spread. You have to take that into consideration. And what about people that might have allergies or they, they have natural immunity? So all these factors really need to be taken into consideration. And, and I hope that maybe with new leadership, with new White House administration, we'll get someone, um, and even new health officials. I know Dr. Fauci is retiring. We need someone to look at the big picture and understand it's not a one-size-fits-all for everyone. We have exemptions for other types of vaccines. Why on earth can't we have them for this one? Which is so odd to me because the term anti-vaxxer is what they use to label everybody that either is critical of vaccine yeah. mandates or just chooses not to get it themselves. I'm yeah. not an anti-vaxxer. I had all my other vaccines yeah. Yeah. because those prevented infection. Exactly. Got them when I was a baby. I'm fine with those. This one has not been around long enough for us to know the side effects. But what's weird to me is that the medical community is almost like almost like a secret society where you just don't talk about it. And I have several mm -hmm. friends who are doctors or in the medical community and then say, listen, we've got questions, but we are cut off at the knees. You can't so much as utter anything about the vaccine or you will essentially be a pariah in the medical field. Yeah, it, it's tough. It can be a challenge. And I was upset at the beginning with all the data that the CDC was giving us. Okay, it stops the spread. You won't catch it. You're protected. And that just wasn't the case. And I felt you know, very upset and angry because with the data they were giving us, I was providing to my patients. And then later we learned that's not the case. We, they shouldn't have told us at the beginning that it will stop the spread. You will not catch COVID. They should have said, we think, we believe. Let's see what the long term shows. And so, you know, I think um, we just 
it's too early. It's only been, you know, two years. Or the vaccine just came out about a, a year ago. So it is on the early side. But I think, again, it's a choice. And if you are higher risk, you should consider it. Um, I, most of my patients who have been hospitalized um, or who have lost their life from COVID, they were high risk, older, with underlying medical conditions. But then I saw the, that higher age group get vaccinated and less and less of them were losing their life. So we know which population that it impacts. And I think our focus and priority, again, should be on those high risk groups, not five-month-old five babies or young, right. healthy teenagers and, and college students. What about masks? Because at first Fauci told us, yeah. don't run out and get a mask. And then it was, you need a mask. And then it's, you don't need a mask if you're vaccinated. Yeah. And then it's, you should wear a mask. The narrative around masks is ever-changing. Some people are always going to want to wear a mask. They just love the mask. I don't know why. They have an affinity for them. <laughs> it's almost like a sick obsession yeah. with them. But do they work? You know, it, it's sad that, that we instilled that fear in Americans so early on. It depends. It, you know, the cloth masks, the surgical masks, they're not as effective as the N95. But who on earth is going to wear an N95 all day long? I can barely Certain breathe. Certain liberals will wear it. I they can, will wear it if you give it to them. I can't breathe. You know, when I have to work, I'm still required to wear a mask, and it's hard. So, you know, it's it's again, it should be a choice. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But an N95 can protect you, but all the other ones aren't going to They're stop. decorative face coverings, yeah. but this is what I also don't get about the mask. People that love the mask, you need to wear a mask. People that will chase you down in Target making sure you're wearing a mask. Listen, a lot of you people are wearing the same mask, not only all day, yeah. but several days in a row. So yeah. if you're not changing that mask, aren't you essentially strapping filth to your face <laughs> and then holding it by yeah. your nose? Does that not seem yeah. counterproductive? And not to mention the, the rashes that I see patients come in with on their face, on their nose, and then trying to have little children mask up is just, it's appalling to me. Um, again, if you want to wear a mask, that's fine. That's your choice, but you, you shouldn't mandate it. If you feel like someone's high risk and they want to go to Starbucks or a store, it's up to them if they want to wear a mask and protect themselves, um, whether it works or not. Um, but again, let's refrain from the mandates and, and give everyone that option and that choice. They say the whole purpose of the lockdowns and the shutdowns and the mandates was to not overwhelm hospitals. Well, we're not overwhelmed. We're not overburdened right now. Two years ago we were, and it was hell. Um, but, you know, it, we've come, again, a long way. And um, fortunately, we've learned how to manage and take care of, of this disease now where we should also modify our strategies and it shouldn't be the same as it was in the beginning. Last thing I want to ask you about is yeah. monkeypox, because they tried to make monkeypox a thing for the last several months, trying to make it the new COVID. Yeah. People are not really as scared of monkeypox, though. I don't see the same hysteria. Now, in New York, we just saw they're opening up vaccine sites for the monkeypox. I know that you said you've seen a lot of cases of monkeypox. Mm -hmm. What does it look like, and is this something we actually need to be concerned about? I think you should just do what you normally do to protect yourself from picking up any disease. But I don't think anybody should be fearful or worried or change their, you know, their life habits. Uh, you know, but just take precautions. You know, you wouldn't do certain things to, um, you know, that could put you in harm's way in the, in the first place. So, so do the same thing. So I am seeing it. What, it, what we're seeing it in a certain population. Most of the patients I'm seeing it in are um, men who are sexually active with men or identify as gay. That's the population I'm seeing it in. It can affect 
anyone. Um, and you know, but patients they come in, you know, with swollen lymph nodes and a rash and a headache, and you know, these blisters on, on their body, and um, it's like a one percent mortality rate. So that's a good thing. And what do we do for it? There's no like treatment for it. We do have vaccines for it, but if you have it, you stay home, you quarantine, you t you know, drink lots of fluids, take Tylenol, Motrin, that sort of thing. But it's nothing, nothing like COVID. And again, I'm glad that you mentioned if you're sick, you quarantine because at the onset of COVID, healthy people were quarantining yeah. and that really is not the definition of quarantine because healthy people don't quarantine, sick people quarantine. Exactly. But again, they changed the definitions of a lot of things. Yeah. And if I never hear the word social distance <laughs> again yeah. or the new normal oh. again or safer apart yeah. again or safer at home, all those <laughs> yes. stupid things that we should yeah. just take right along with the masks and bury them six feet under and forget that it ever happened in yeah. an embarrassing time Gosh. in American history. But I thank you for being yeah, here and breaking pleasure. it all down. I know that thank you spend you. a lot of time in Nashville, so yes. I want to have you back. Thank Hopefully, you. monkeypox will not come to <laughs> yes. Nashville because if there's any place you're going to get monkeypox, it's probably Broadway. Yes. So there's that. <laughs> but still ahead, majorly switching gears here. It's baseball's all-star week, and tonight is the fan favorite home run derby. Here to break it down with his MLB predictions for the week and beyond is former MLB catcher, current Marlins analyst, and last but not least, my fiance, JP Aaron Sebia. That's next. He's been a catcher for the Vols, the Blue Jays, the Rangers, and the Rays, but I think he'll agree because he has to. His biggest catch is his fiance, depending on the day. Here now is former MLB player, current Marlins radio slash Bally Sports broadcaster, and the man who puts up with me, and it's very easy to do, JP Aaron Sevia. All right, JP. So that's a great. That was a great uh, intro. By obviously, the way. it is. So obviously, your biggest catch. We know this. I know that today is the greatest day of your yeah, life because you're de debatable. Finally, get to be on my show. But um, I obviously know a ton about baseball, but I figured I'd bring you in just to kind of smooth out the edges of the knowledge here. So we have to go to the Home Run Derby first. And we have your bracket that you sent to me yesterday in Chicken Scratch. We made it look a lot nicer. So, it wasn't Chicken Scratch. I just tried to mark it up on my phone. There you go. Well, it looked great. Um, but we have a better image of it. So for everybody who's wanting to know how this is going to go down tonight, who wins? How is it going to go down? Is everybody that's in it should be in it. Any disappointments? Uh, no, I actually am kind of fired up that they have uh, Albert Pujols in there. Uh, his last go around, I think it's cool to see him have an opportunity, but he's going against the favorite, Schwarber, who leads the league in homers. So first uh, first one, one and eight, I'm going Schwarber, Soto and Ramirez. Juan Soto is a stud. This guy's just turned down $400 million contract, uh, so he's pretty good. And Jose Ramirez is a good player, but I don't think a home run derby guy, so I'm going Soto. Uh, and then on the other side, Lonzo and Acuna. I think that uh, Alonzo, he's back-to-back -back, uh, champion in the, in the home run derby, so he knows what he needs to do. Acuna is the one that I kind of like got scared about to try to figure out who I wanted to put, but Alonzo, I think, is going to take him just because of experience. And then Corey Seager and Julio Rodriguez. Seager is... A great player, but Julio Rodriguez is a phenom, and he is doing things so far for the Seattle Mariners that no one can do. I watched him hit a home run off Sandy Alcantara uh, at Lone Depot Park, and he's got some serious power, so I think he actually, uh, this is kind of where he becomes a household name, so he'll win that round. Then from there, I think uh, Schwarber beats Soto. He's just got a home run swing. Uh, Soto's more of a line drive guy, so I think that uh, Schwarber will win that, that round. And he'll go to the championship. Alonzo will face Rodriguez. Rodriguez might 
surprise some people. I think that he might have a chance to surprise some people. And if there is an upset, he's the guy I look for. But I still think that experience takes over. Alonso wins that round. And then in the championship, I'm taking Swarber. I got a little inside information. He said he's going How do you have off. inside information is something that hasn't happened yet? Inside information, like we, I talked to him at batting practice, and he told me, "Hey, so listen." So he just told you he's gonna win. <laughs> he was just that. No, confident? he told me. No, he told me that he was making an adjustment. That he learned something from the first one, where when he was trying to swing a lot, he was flying balls out. And what happens is, in the home run derby, you have to wait till the ball lands to get the next pitch. And so, if you're hitting too many balls up in the air, that takes away from time. So he said that he's making an adjustment. Uh, so again, I just hearing that. Well, last year you told me the Rays were making it to the World Series, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You were, you've been wrong before. But well, we'll they, see. they were one series away from the World Series. Yeah. No, it's all going to be good. Um, it's All-Star Week as well. And I know that you're disappointed, as am I, because I'm now a Marlins fan, to hear some news about starting pitchers. Break that down for us and, and why you think that there was an injustice that's being done. Well, I think it's a joke. I, I mean, uh, you know, the All-Star Game is made for the best players in the game, currently, in during their season, right? Just because you're the best player doesn't mean that you make it. But if you're having a great season, you get rewarded with playing in the All-Star game because it's the best players during that half of the season that make the All-Star game. And one of the unreal things are starting the All-Star game, but also as a position player, but as a pitcher, usually it's the top pitcher of the National League against the top pitch, pitcher of the American League and that's how they choose the starting pitchers. It's a, it's a, it is an honor to start that. And Sandy Alcantara is the best pitcher in baseball, hands down. Like, he's doing Hall of Fame things this season. He's got a crazy amount of innings. He leads by not even close to the amount of innings this year. Uh, he has the lowest ERA in the National League. And I know that, listen, Clayton Kershaw has even come out and said he doesn't deserve to start this game. Like, he has talked about it. So then why it. is it? Is it because it's in L.A.? Is there some politics that go into play here? You know, you want to have your hometown team. It just yeah, does better because Sandy plays for the Marlins and the Dodgers, obviously. It's a, it's a it's, different franchise. It's unfortunate. It's just more of a, of a show. And that's that takes away from the allure of the All-Star game. Because, again, my biggest thing is, like, it's not a charity event. It's not to where, like, hey, you know, he is a deserving All-Star. He's not deserving to start the game. And what happens, the biggest thing for me is, how do you know he ever has a, a year like this? And he, I mean Sandy, how do you know? What happens if he never has a year like this again in his career? And now he doesn't get back to the All-Star game. And when he should have been the starter, he wasn't the starter. And so it's unfortunate, again, I think that how it plays out, it's because it's, it's you know, in L.A., Clayton Kershaw, he's a Hall of Famer. Look, the guy's a stand-up dude, everything about him, but... It's not a charity event. It's the best players that have the opportunity. And when you talk about, on paper, the best player, the best pitcher in Major League Baseball is Sandy Alcantara. He should be starting the All-Star game for the National League. We're going to have Jazz playing? In no, this he's game? hurt. Uncertain because of his back, correct? He's hurt. He's hurt. Yeah, he's hurt. So yeah. we don't know yet if he's going to No, no, play. no. He's not playing. He's not playing whatsoever. No, Jazz oh, is not okay. playing. No, no, no. That's really sad. Marlins had another, Garrett Cooper, correct? Which was a, a guy who was deserving of it as well. So he was... At the time, he, he was hitting over 300 when he got in, and so they have three All-Stars. And, uh, I mean, Jazz Chisholm is, like, the fan favorite. He does some things on the field that not a lot of people can do, but Garrett Cooper, 
very well deserving and he's from southern california so you know their family is uh very big fans of yours when they they were more happy to see you than they were uh me and when you came well, and listen, visited I'm, in San Diego. I'm obviously a team favorite when it comes to the marlins dugout but that's a whole nother story i mean i have a lot of friends on that team obviously when i go they usually win unless they're playing the mets but at the end of the day that's what i want to go to i want to discuss let's hope you do better this year with your World Series predictions because last year it was a little, you know, a little shaky. So who do we have this year making it to the World Series and then who ultimately wins it? Yeah, I think that the Mets are going to win it, uh, and I think that it's going to be the Mets in Houston. Uh, I want it to be a Subway Series. I, I want it to be Explain the, that to people who don't understand what that means. Oh, I want it to be New York Yankees versus New York Mets because I think it'd be fun. It'd be fun for baseball. I think it'd be a... a you know, a lot of rivalries and, you know, in New York, you're either one or the other. It's not like we can, you play both fields. Um, but the Houston Astros, we've played the Houston Astros. They are unbelievable team, starting pitching, relief pitching, hitting, everything. They ha they're, they're the full package. So my last thing I'm going to ask you, two most overrated and two most underrated players. Let's start with the two most overrated players currently playing the game right now. Uh, Cody Bellinger uh, for the Dodgers. He's overrated? Yeah, he's overrated. I just I mean, saw him he, in a Dairy Queen commercial this morning. Well, he's he's a great player, but I think he's overrated. I mean, he's he's not doing well again this season. He's struggled. Uh, and he's a guy that, you know, when postseason came, they had to kind of platoon him. They couldn't play him every day. Uh, this is a guy who was, I mean, an MVP, but he's nowhere near that uh, and has not been anywhere near that for a while. Um, and the other one is a teammate of mine a former teammate of mine that we used to give I used to make fun of him and tell him this but he got paid over 100 million dollars name is Elvis Andrews and he's a shortstop and we're like dude you, how did you convince the Rangers to sign you for over 100 million dollars and that was the guy that we used to give that to I mean we would tell it to him hey he signed good for him but he's overrated well he's getting that money what about two most underrated players uh most underrated for sure, Austin Riley with uh, the Atlanta Braves, a third baseman. Uh, you got a lot of Braves fan in, fans in this room, so you're making them happy. They're well, nodding a, their heads in agreement. No, it's the truth. Oh, this is a kid. First off, he, he didn't get voted for the All-Star game. He should have been in the All-Star game. He should have been a starter. I mean, third base is a tough position, but he should have been on the All-Star team without uh, you know the extra time. The other thing is, is if he doesn't have the season that he had last year, Freddie Freeman doesn't have the season that he has because he was hitting behind Freddie Freeman, which gives him protection. Uh, and this year he's having an MVP-type season again. And all you hear is about Acuna and, and Olsen or Dansby Swanson. But Austin Riley is the guy who makes that team go. Um, and, I mean, he's got over 20 home runs. He's crushing the ball. I think it's 27 home runs. He just hit another one recently. But... He's crushing. And then the other one, obviously, against is Sandy Alcantara. It, it, people don't realize this guy is the best. What he's doing is the best. It's Hall of Fame caliber to this point in the season. Is it because he plays for the Marlins that he's it, being underrated? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I would imagine that, you know, the Marlins don't get as much love as they should. Um, but regardless, I think that they're starting to kind of talk about him, but he's still not a household name. And it's crazy because if there's a every, you know, this... Every five days I get to go to work. I'm excited. When Sandy pitches, like I love to do mm -hmm. what I do. When Sandy pitches, it's like I feel like I'm watching history being made on a constant basis. And you know it is when other teams ask me, because I, you know, I know, I know a lot of guys. I play with a lot of guys in the league. 
pitchers going, hey, what does Sandy do? Like, what does he do in between his starts? Is like Because they are amazed that they get to watch him. And that's when the team plays against you, that's how you know you're like, it's exceptional. They were laughing the other day. The Phillies were laughing because they, they beat them, which was a, by fluke. It just happened. But they were saying, like, we have no chance. Like, that's how good this guy is. They're like, we have zero chance. So, Well, I love me some Sandy, and I love some Marlins. And uh, we're going to wrap up this segment, but I'll see you later at home. Try to not use all the paper towels and maybe leave the door open when you shower so um, you don't create mold in my shower caulking. All right. Anyway. Letting <laughs> on a high note. More to come. More to come. Up next, some in the trans community are apparently super triggered by Dave Chappelle's Emmy nomination, and I have a feeling my final thoughts aren't going to make them any less triggered. But either way, my final thoughts are next. Dave Chappelle has been nominated for an Emmy, so of course the trans activist community is throwing a tantrum. It's time for final thoughts. When trans activists, including some Netflix employees, threw a fit about his comedy special, a special they deemed transphobic, Dave Chappelle didn't back down, didn't apologize, and didn't bow, cave, or fall to the mob. Dave Chappelle is uncancelable because he flat out refuses to be canceled, a lesson to us all. And now his stand-up comedy special is nominated for a primetime Emmy, proving that even in woke Hollywood, merit still matters at least a little bit. But of course, this ignited a new anger wave of trans activists who don't think anyone who disagrees with their lifestyle choice or worldview should be acknowledged. That's how indulgent some in that community are. But it's ironic, though, because the left, particularly the LGBTQ activism wing of the left, tells us they're all about love, tolerance, diversity, inclusion, and acceptance. That we, the general public, should validate and glorify their life, body, and sexual choices by plastering rainbows all over everything without question. But that love, inclusion, and tolerance apparently comes to an abrupt halt at the end of the rainbow. Because the moment someone, even a comedian, even slightly pokes fun at their movement, well, all hell and all glitter breaks loose. Well, get over it and practice some of the tolerance you all preach. Because free speech isn't just saying what you all want to say, it's hearing what you all don't want to hear, even if it offends you. And I'll let you in on a little secret. As a straight, white conservative, I don't appreciate 99% of the crap the mainstream media, Hollywood, sports, entertainment, and pop culture celebrates, but here we are. And furthermore, schools and so-called educators don't play Dave Chappelle's comedy special to children like they do the pick-your-gender BS pushed by LGBTQ groomers. That garbage is in the freaking curriculum in some schools. But because some in the trans community don't like Chappelle's special, it should be snubbed by the Emmys? Do you think your movement carries that much weight? Shoot, at least people watched his content. Sorry to break it to you, but half the crap y'all celebrate isn't popular or even watchable, as evidenced by the go-woke, go-broke pattern in TV ratings and box office sales. The junk nominated at every award show aired over the last five years has been utter garbage. Most people haven't even seen some of the artistic works nominated at these Hollywood snooze fests. So yeah, maybe instead of using your time in hot air to dog Chappelle's content, you should dedicate that energy into making your woke crap halfway watchable. So get over yourselves. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care. <laughs>